Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the 20 years in prison edition. This week, we're explaining what Larry Householder's prison sentence means for public corruption in Ohio, how two landmark Supreme Court cases will impact our state, everything you need to know about the upcoming August election, and where we are in state budget negotiations. Joining me in studio is our fearless bureau chief, Anthony Shoemaker. Hey, Anna. How's it going? Busy. (laughs) It's very, very busy. But before we get into all that news, I want to take a quick second and ask you to do me a favor and leave a comment or review of our show because that helps us in iTunes rankings and because I'd be super, super appreciative. So our first topic is the sentencing of Larry Householder. The former Ohio House Speaker was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison for orchestrating the bailout of two nuclear power plants in exchange for $61 million. It was the maximum sentence recommended by the prosecution and a lot more than the 12 to 18 months that Larry's attorneys were asking for. Yeah, the judge really threw the book at at Householder and uh, listening to his comments really wasn't taking any of, of Householder's you know, pleas for uh, Lenient. leniency. Yeah. You know, Householder was talking about his family and his kids and his wife right before he was sentenced. And Judge Black wasn't having it. Yeah. He said that the harm to his family was caused by him and not by the court. And I was like, oof. You could kind of feel like he was building towards something. At one point, he said that he thought it could be appropriate to give him above the maximum of 20 years. Yeah. The uh, prosecutors had asked for 16 to 20 and, and the judge went all the way up to 20. Yeah. He also... Um, you know, said that he didn't believe Householder's testimony on the stand to the point where he thought like Householder was lying and that he was going to count that against him. And he said he called it an assault on democracy, a betrayal of everyone in Ohio. He said, quote, you liked being the puppet master. I mean, Judge Black had no sympathy for that. He said you like power. And And control. And yeah, he really didn't seem to believe any part of Larry's story. And the uh, the U.S. assistant attorney who who spoke before the sentencing also said, you know, you know, this has to be a deterrent for future politicians to, yeah. to learn a lesson. Larry's uh, attorneys tried to argue that the disgrace, uh, the fall from grace, basically, that Larry has suffered over the last three years between his arrest and trial and conviction, that he's a broken man and that that was enough of a deterrent. But clearly, Judge Black didn't agree with that. Yeah. Now we just wait to see what happens with former Republican Party Chairman Matt Borges, who is set to be sentenced on Friday. Yeah. So as of the recording of this podcast, we do not know what Matt Borges is getting. But I mean, Larry got 20, so it could be possible that Matt is looking at the maximum as well. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our second topic is the U.S. Supreme Court, which handed down two landmark decisions this week. The first dealt with whether state legislatures have to follow any rules when it comes to elections and redistricting. It's called the Independent State Legislature Theory, and the court struck it down on Tuesday. The case dealt with how North Carolina draws its congressional districts, but it's important for folks here in Ohio because Republicans were using that theory to appeal how our own congressional maps were drawn. Yeah, you know, that's going to be a big issue for the rest of the year is what's going to happen with uh, with congressional maps uh, ahead of the 2024 election because they have to file new ones, but they have a new Supreme Court now. Yeah, so Senate President Matt Huffman, who was instrumental in drawing the last set of maps that were struck down by the court, but ultimately used because basically we ran out of time to draw new ones. He floated sort of two paths forward this week. He said we could draft a new map before the end of September or they may go back to the Ohio Supreme Court and ask them to reconsider its decision. Now, why that's important was we elect our Supreme Court justices here in Ohio, and the court has now become more solidly Republican, and it is entirely possible that if they ask the court to reconsider, that court will just take the previous map. Yeah, I mean, since last year, you know, losing um, Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor due to age limits, and now you have uh, Chief Justice Sharon Kennedy, and, you know, that changes the, the makeup of the court. Yeah. The second U.S. Supreme Court case was about affirmative action, which is the consideration of race or ethnicity by universities in their admission process. And for the last 20 years, colleges and universities have been allowed to use race as kind of a tiebreaker in college admissions. So they couldn't use quotas or give minorities like a specific number of points in like a uh, like a point system to get into school. But if you had like two similarly qualified candidates, they could favor, say, a black student over a white one if the incoming freshman class wasn't looking so diverse. But the court struck that down, saying that race cannot play a role in college admissions going forward. Yeah, and it was it was two cases, uh, one one uh, in Harvard, one at the uh, University of North Carolina, and the conservatives on the court were unified. I mean, it was a it was a six three vote in one, six two in the other because uh, Justice Brown uh, had a role in the Harvard admissions. Harvard yeah. Admission. And so she recused herself from that. But she had a very strong dissent in the other one where she was basically making this argument that I've seen some people who don't support this decision say that it there's all kinds of preferences given in admissions processes. And even Harvard made this case in before the Supreme Court that legacy students, so if your parent went there, you get priority. Sometimes very wealthy students get priority literally because their parents will buy stuff for the university. Yeah. Sometimes very prominent names get priority. Like I'm pretty sure like, you know, and I'm not saying this is like a bad thing, but I'm pretty sure, you know, Obama's daughters when he, they were applying to college could go anywhere because who wouldn't want the president's daughters at their school? So like there are lots of reasons why universities preference one candidate over another. Yeah. And it's just a question of was this one not constitutional? And the court has said yes. And President uh, Biden slammed the ruling um, today and basically said, you know, the fight for diversity in schools has to continue. And he's saying, you know, this isn't going to be the end of it. Our third topic is our upcoming special election on August 8th. Voters are going to go to the polls on that Tuesday and decide whether we want to make it harder to amend Ohio's state constitution. So currently, if you want to change the constitution through a vote of the people, you need a simple majority. 
50% plus one vote, but we are being asked to decide if we want to make that 60%. It does some other things like making it harder to get on the ballot, but we're going to go into that in greater depth um, next week. We actually have two special episodes coming, one with a supporter of issue one and one with an opponent. But this week, to get you primed for that, our colleague Haley B. Miller has an excellent article kind of explaining everything you need to know both about voting and state issue one. Yeah, Haley um, asked readers to submit questions and she got flooded with questions and answered some in a uh, in a great Q&A format story that's on our websites uh, that everyone should check out. I mean, there's so much misinformation, so much confusion about state issue one that uh, she's kind of breaking through some of that. Plus, you know, the ads have started running. People are going to see those. And it's, you know, it's an August election. Ohioans aren't used to voting uh, this time of year. Uh, so both sides are really going to be pushing early voting uh, just to make sure that they get their votes locked in. Yeah, and early voting starts in the middle of July. Yeah, July 11th. You can do it by mail. You have to request that ballot. You can do it in person. But also keep in mind that our voting laws have changed. So you're going to need a valid photo ID when you go vote in person. You might want to check your polling place because, um, you know, this is an unusual election. And sometimes, like, there's school construction going on in the summer. So if, like, you vote at your local elementary school, they may actually need to change the polling location or this, that, or the other. Yeah, and state issue one is the only thing on the ballot. So yeah. it's not like a normal election <laughs> where you go in and you see school levies and police levies and yeah. city council candidates. It's one thing, one thing to vote on, and that is it. So there's a lot of concern about the turnout. Our fourth and final topic is still developing as we record this podcast, and that's the state budget. We don't have a deal yet, but we're getting closer to an agreement between the state House and Senate on how to spend about $90 billion a year for the next two years. What we know so far is that two controversial proposals for public colleges and universities won't be in the budget, but a plan to remake the Ohio Department of Education for K-12 students will be in the budget. Ohio will also be getting more money for public schools, but will also be getting universal eligibility for school vouchers. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to a lot of people, like, you know, wait a minute, the Republicans control both houses and supermajorities. Why is there so much disagreement? You know, it's it's a fascinating story you've been covering. Yeah, there's a lot of palace intrigue and, you know, whispers and rumors. And one of the allegations that uh, came from the Senate earlier this week was that the House negotiators were allegedly telling them that they needed Democratic votes, that they were having trouble getting to 50 votes, which would need to pass a bill in the House within their own caucus. There are 67 Republicans. So it's you know a little unusual to say you can't get to 50. Right. And they were going to need some changes to get Democrats. And the Senate was like, eh, we, we can give you some things, but like we're not going to make you know a Democratic budget just to get it through the House when you guys have 67 seats. So I don't know. The House said that wasn't true, but we've been going back and forth. And it always comes down to the wire, I feel right. like. We're always like you have from January like 3rd when session started until June 30th to write this budget. And it's going to probably come down to the last couple of hours on June 30th. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the holiday coming up and you got to wait to see what Governor DeWine might veto what he doesn't like in the budget. Yeah. And he's saying it should take about three days from the time that lawmakers pass the budget. So if they pass the budget at midnight on Friday night, which I'm not looking forward to spending my Friday night at the state house, but I shall. You love <laughs> but it. yeah, I do. But I, so if they pass it then, he says it takes about three days because it's literally somewhere right now, depending on which version we get, between 7,000 pages and like 9,000 pages long. That has to be physically checked for commas and T's crossed, I's dotted. 
then it's got to be printed and then he has to like physically cross out the parts that he's vetoing it before he signs it it's just like that phys- that yeah. actual process just takes time old school yeah <laughs> so i don't know exactly when we're going to get the governor's vetoes we don't know exactly when we're going to get the budget we're not exactly sure what's going to be in the budget so uh wait and see and one more thing before you go The downtown office building where state lawmakers have their offices is called the Rife Building. It's named after former Ohio House Speaker Vern Rife, a Democrat, who was in control of the chamber for two decades. This was before term limits. So uh, there is a bill now in the House, largely led by Republicans, to consider renaming it the Twana Sailor Solar. I really apologize. I am not sure how to pronounce this name. Memorial Center for Government and the Arts. So this Sawyer died while working on the state office building in 1988. She lost her footing while working on top of a large unit on the 15th floor and plummeted to her death, unfortunately. So uh, there is a push to rename the building after her instead of after Vern Reif. Yeah, and you know, Vern Reif is the longest serving speaker of the House in history of either party. And it's a very prominent building in downtown Columbus. I mean, um, yeah. it, I think it's the fifth largest, tallest building in the in the city. It's right across from the State House. So it's 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 interesting that this is coming up now. It's been been introduced by uh, Mark Johnson and Phil Plummer from Dayton, who, who said that you know we should take politicians' names off of most buildings and name them after regular Ohioans. So we'll see if this goes anywhere. Yeah, and I have to say, I think it's one of those situations, though, like, you know, when stadiums get rebranded with, like, new names? So when I used to work in Colorado, they they rebranded Mile High Stadium, like, a couple different times. It was the whole thing. But, like, everyone just still called it, like, Mile High, right? Because, like, that was just the name you knew it by. I wonder if, like, Rife Center would just stick around because that's the name that most people know it by. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think about, like, you know, like, Pittsburgh with, like, the Three Rivers Stadium, you know, or stuff like that. People don't often yeah. use the new names. Yeah, even the Buckeyes, everyone just calls it the shoe. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered today, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like dispatch.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.